Hello, everybody. You're listening to the 24th episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I am DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian. And on today's podcast, we pray away the hate, crack jokes on St. Patrick's Day, ask if the mentality monsters have become mentality midgets, turn on our lazy brains, start spring cleaning its space, and try not to cough on the dust in the wind on Mars. So we like to begin this show like we do every single show, focusing on the drinks that we are consuming as we record this. So I want to pass it over to my man, Dorian, who could start us off today. What's going on, man? I'm doing well, DeCarlo. Thank you for uh, bringing me in and happy early St. Patrick's Day. What better time, what better time to start a drink than by uh, honoring the, uh, the good people in the island of, uh, of Ireland. But what I'm going to be drinking is a drink from one of America's favorite big brand stores, big box stores. It's a Kirkland Signature small batch bourbon, aged seven years. And this is actually from Columbia, Tennessee. And I'm having it on the rocks on a big manly ice uh, ice cube. So cheers, St. Patrick's. Well, can that actually be caught? That can't really be bourbon because it's in Tennessee. So it's Tennessee whiskey. They okay, well, then we'll call it. Well, then we're going to start all over again, folks. I'm joking. <laughs> Bourbon slash, as DiCarlo, our resident bourbon connoisseur, says this is uh, Tennessee whiskey. So Tennessee whiskey. And I'm going to bring to you another uh, another religious place, which in Columbia, Tennessee, is called St. John's Episcopal Church in Columbia, Tennessee. And DiCarlo, I'm going to ask you a, a question. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? <laughs> One of the best 90 songs, Joan Osborne's One of Us, asking, what if God was one of us? And I'm going to ask you, what if you actually had a chance to go back to a, uh, a beautiful historical old church by the name of St. John's Episcopal Church? It's the oldest Episcopal Church in, uh, one of the oldest ones in Tennessee. It was built in 1842 by black slave laborers. And one of the, surpri- one of the surprising things about this church is that it was they had a congregation included both black and white uh, worshipers. And during the Confederate War, during the Confederate War, during the Civil War, the Confederate Army used it as a hospital. And actually, the last time it was actively used was back in 1950s, 15, over 100 years ago. Since then, St. John's Episcopal Church has only been used one time a year for uh, special services. And it's actually listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So. Cheers to HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Cheers to people that have HBP, high blood pressure. And cheers to uh, God, Zeus, or any other higher being that you worship. And, w- and when you ask yourself, what if God was one of us? What are you drinking, Darlo? And also cheers <laughs> to the motorcycle that just revved outside of your apartment as we're recording this. <laughs> yeah, they're, um, they're, they're, they're trying to get to church real quick. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I am drinking Stumptown Roasters Holler Mountain Blend Coffee with a splash of coconut milk. So Stumptown Roasters is one of these uh, expensive coffee brands. In I mean, I wouldn't even say it's expensive. It's not like Blue Mountain, which is like really, really high end, but it is organic coffee. It would cost you about $15 for uh, a pound of it. Or no, even, not even a pound, like 12 ounces of it. But it was on sale at Whole Foods. And I do like it. And this this flavor 
has a touch of caramel and cocoa, I believe. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it is pretty good. Um, hopefully, I think usually with coffee like this, even when I drink it, I still am able to sleep at the end of the night. So, you know, I, I, I'm hoping it's not going to give me the jitters and keep me up all hours of the evening because that would be very inconvenient. But I am enjoying this today and, yeah, can't complain about that at all. You can't complain. We can't complain. We're having fun when we're <laughs> zooming by on a motorcycle to get to our place of worship or uh, going to get our coffee beans from Whole Foods. Listener, tweet us a picture of what you like to drink on a daily basis when you're listening to the podcast, whatever you're doing. Our Twitter handle is at HPP4040 and use the hashtag HBP drink. As we mentioned earlier, it's basically St. Patrick's Day and the Irish are known as jokesters. They like to have their fun. They like their, they like their drink. And there's one, he's not, I don't think he's Irish, but uh, he's half American, half Canadian. The reigning MVP of baseball at the National League, uh, Freddie Freeman, the first baseman for my Atlanta Braves. He was clowning, or as we said when we were <laughs> as we said when we were kids, I'm going to be careful saying this, busting on one of his old teammates, uh, pitcher uh, Mike Fulton. <laughs> Mike Fulton Evans is now with the Texas Rangers, but as as our baseball enthusiasts know, in a National League, pitchers have to hit. In the American League, they have to designate designated hitter, so pitchers don't have to hit. So now that Fulton Evans went to an American League team, he doesn't have to be at you know try to try to hit anymore. So uh, Freddie Freeman, uh, you know, he, he made fun of him by saying, "At least Fulton's in the American League now." So we don't have to watch that anymore <laughs> because Fulton Evich, he's had 199 at-bats in his major league career, and he's had 14 hits. His average is .07, .070. Frankly, I think that I would be that bad if I got called up to the major leagues. So uh, cheers to our favorite Canadian-American, Freddie Freeman, for uh, you know having some good fun with his former teammate. And then... Someone else who I think inadvertently was funny was uh, the New York Mets president, Sandy Alderson. Uh, and in a, in a spring, you know, baseball right now is in spring training. So all of these are exhibition games. And in a spring training game about a week ago on ESPN, he said, quote, while some of our players aren't defensive geniuses, we think that overall the blend that we have is pretty good. End quote. <laughs> when, I, when I read this, I started laughing. I mean, for me, that's like the equivalent of saying, my son may be slow, but he's not an idiot. <laughs> it's like a backhanded compliment. That, that, because Sandy Alderson, he's been around the game. He knows what he sees. And the Mets defense has been absolutely terrible during spring training. In the first 10 games, no, I'm sorry, in the first seven games, they've had 10 errors. 10. And, the, and they were trying to get this, uh, this infielder, Jeff, Jeff McNeil, to play third base. And in the only game he played at third base, he committed three errors. And so uh, one of the coaches in the New York Mets said, no, McNeil's not going to be uh, – he's not going to be playing third base anymore. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting summer in Flushing to see how the New York Mets defense improves because their, their pitching is out of this world, out of this world. Well, I mean, it's really difficult to sit back and, and assess 
a team during spring training, especially oh, a new team. I mean, granted, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny at the current stage, especially being uh, with all the fanfare and, and notoriety that the Mets are currently getting, being that they have a new wealthy owner and all the other scandals that's kind of happened with them. They but, have a whiff of, of hope in Flushing. Yeah, but that never lasts that long. <laughs> Sorry to say Yeah, that. so things aren't just – Terrible, terrible, like Charles Barkley said here, stateside in baseball. Things are pretty terrible across the Atlantic as well. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the if we look at our friends across the pond with uh football or soccer as we like to call it here, Liverpool FC, man, they are they are hitting it hard right now. So just to kind of give everybody a quick run through if you have not heard about, you know, the, the beloved Liverpool, the boys from Merseyside. So these partially, the, partially owned by LeBron James. Yes, partially owned by LeBron James, owned by um, Fenway Sports Group, which owns the Boston Red Sox. Um, they are the reigning Premier League champions. Prior to the last, you know, prior to last season, they were the European champions winning the Champions League, and prior to Bayern Munich winning the most recent FIFA World Club World Club Cup, they were the world champions as well in terms of club football. And the past couple of seasons from when Jurgen Klopp got appointed from 2015 on, they've just been improving and improving. And the previous two seasons, 97 points. They literally missed getting the league by one point over Man City. And then last year, finally breaking the 30-year goose of uh, winning a Premier League championship. But this season, man, the rails have fallen off. And it has been pretty bad. And, and not on their own accord. They've suffered a lot of devastating injuries to key people, especially Virgil van Dyke, who's been out for the all, pretty much the whole season with a torn ACL and the rest of their defensive line has been terrible, you know, and injured. Oh. And terrible. They had to bring in two <laughs> new um, defenders, recalling defenders back. They've had 20 different um, cent, uh, center back partnerships, but they might call you up across the pond. They go, maybe, go play maybe. a game or two. I mean, it would be a terrible move. I'm a better <laughs> fan than I'm a player. But what, what made it really problematic, because even through most of the season, up until uh, the Christmas time, they were, they were number one in the league. And, but there has been a massive collapse, and they also broke their home winning streak. At one point, they were 63 games unbeaten at home, and they've lost six straight. And, you know, they're already out of the contention for the league, but now it's even struggling to – uh, qualify for Champions League, which, if you know, within football, it's a very that's the most prestigious um, competition, money, money, and also and the money, money that comes with it too. So you know, it's you know, it's been problematic. And one thing Jurgen Klopp was coined to saying is saying, you know, I, I've come here to build a team and give us a mentality, a, a monsters mentality. And recently, Jamie Carragher said that where's the monsters mentality? They look like a mental, you know, they have the mentality of midgets. Unfortunately, you know. No, no disrespect to our little people community. Yeah, but, that's uh, that's Hayden on the vertically challenged. Yeah, Damn you, Jerry, Jamie Carragher, former Liverpool. What was he defender? Yeah, he was a defender. defender. One of the greatest ones too. Uh, but Jurgen Klopp, and you know, it, it was even so much so people were like questioning whether or not Jurgen Klopp should still be still be the manager. Which most people who have a right sense of mind are like, there's no way in hell after doing all of that that FSG is going to turn and then turn coat and fire and just. No matter, he's still one of the best managers. And, of course, there's, you know, with all of the other 
externalities that happen, we have to keep in mind Liverpool is a team that really thrives off of fan support. And without having fans in the, in the stadium where you're missing that 12th man, that has a huge impact on how teams play, especially teams like Liverpool. Teams like Man City, which are all about just going about the business, the system, not, you know, they don't really play with emotion to, to a degree, not like a team like Liverpool, which thrives off of it. So they're able to run away with it right now, but that has a big play. The defender partnerships and all the injuries have had a big thing. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp even stated himself that, quote, we don't have the mentality we used to, but the boys want to win games. And I saw that today. We still made mistakes, and that's the problem. We have to make sure the mistakes we make are not accountable. We have to make sure we win a game, even if it's 1-0. One, one um, and I can say today they did play a Champions League, like a Champions League game against uh, RB Leipzig. Um, and they did win two, two. Nothing. They're a team. They're they're a small team from the planet Venus. You know, a bunch of nobodies. They're from but, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> they're a team from Germany. I thought they were Austrian. No, no, it's Red Bulls owns a team. Leipzig is an east. It's a city in East Germany. Oh, okay. But uh, you know, Red Bulls. They also have RB Salzburg. So Red Bulls owns. Okay. You know, they have teams all over. So they did win. Thankfully, that was hopefully this will get a little bit of momentum because after a while, I keep losing in the league. It's pretty bad, but. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully the great team of Liverpool is able to correct it. I think they will with the manager that they have. And once they well, get pieces back going, they should be all right. Well, as a Man City fan, I want to say cheers uh, and thank you. And I hope they don't get it going. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day to uh, the awfulness that's going on in Anfield, which uh, Liverpool being a port city, there's been historically a lot of uh, Irish expats or even deep Irish community. So, and it's funny you bring this up because over the weekend was the Manchester Derby, uh, which is one of the biggest football matches in the world, which is Manchester City against Manchester United. And the match ended, and I was watching it on uh, Telemundo, one of the Spanish channels. And at the end, you know, when all every single every single game in any sports, there's always like a wrap up. You know, people are talking about what happened, and they're like, oh, and they were saying in Spanish, uh, oh, and Jurgen Klopp's team suffers yet another horrible defeat against the worst team in the league. And I was like, what? I didn't even, I didn't even know that Liverpool had played earlier in the day. And I just start, I started laughing because the Spanish announcers for soccer, for football, are a lot more direct. Versus if you listen to that, in an, uh, someone in English saying, whether you're talking about basketball, soccer, football, baseball, they, they always say, you know, a team that's really struggling. They lost to they, – they had a – they had a – they, they tripped up over a team that's really struggling. In Spanish, it was a direct. They lost against this. They have a terrible form, and they lost against the most terrible team in the league. And I, I started laughing. So, look, Liverpool has covered themselves in, in glitter and champagne for the past three-odd years. And now, you know, things aren't going so well. So We'll um, be back, though. We will sure. be back. I yeah. will say this much because when we do have our pieces back, and even today, I mean, we were able to put uh, – Fabinho, who's our defensive midfielder, in his actual position because he's been playing a center back most of the season, which he's done a great job, but he's not as effective there as he is working behind, like right in front of the the center back pairs. And then moving Tiago up in in a more advanced role in the midfield, which allows him to spray his passes all over. So once you get like that, I think when you when you allow the players to be in the positions that they need to be and actually get them working in that system that'll help but then it also did go to show that Klopp 
sometimes can be a little bit heavy-handedly defensive. Like, not defensive. He, he won't adapt too much so with his system. You know, he's been sticking the same system as opposed to trying to see what else he can do with it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the trust in the players that he had, especially the defenders, because he's had to bring in you know, two, two new defenders, one who just came from um, Shaka FC, who's on loan, Ozan Kaban, who's a really promising young center back, but he's just learning the system. He's been dependent on a lot of just like fringe players playing in, in, in the in, in in the middle of the park and you don't have the midfield distribution as you normally did, who's able to push forward and, and play right behind the front three. And the front three has been pretty much anemic apart from Mohamed Salah still scoring goals. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, but nevertheless, the Carlo guarantees that they'll be back. So besides our, our HVP's own Terminator, there's another guarantee you can count on. And that's our show sponsor, one of my favorite places, Wolfie's Restaurant, a slice of old Miami. Wolfie's Restaurant is your favorite deli on Miami Beach. Come and celebrate Passover at Wolfie's. It's open 24 hours a day. Whether you're day trading stocks, reading the latest book selling book, reading the latest best selling book, or watching your favorite football club lose yet another game, do it at Wolfie's. Enjoy the salads, enjoy the football, enjoy the sandwiches. Wolfie's Restaurant, a slice of old Miami. And speaking of best-selling books that you can read at Wolfie's, DeCarlo wants to let us know about that pastime. Yeah, so recently in the Times, they were talking about uh, a book that a lot of front office heads within, the, within baseball are really obsessed with, and it's a book called... Um, Thinking fast and slowly, I believe. I mm-hmm. don't have it in front of me. Yeah. Um, but it is by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. Well, it is by Daniel Kahneman. He worked with Amos Tversky, who no longer is with us, and they are psychologists. And you, they really pay attention to the idea of cognitive bias. And it's this idea that you know, we have, we rep- we have a, a mental shortcut called uh, representativeness heuristic which um it's an assessment that, heavily influenced on what that, we believe is standard or ideal is that next to the modula oblongata no i mean it is it all it is all <laughs> talking about your central executive functions but essentially what happens is, is that people and this happens with a lot of baseball scouts sports scouts individual people we have an an idea of what things should be so when you think of say with baseball, you think of a first baseman should be tall, you know, long reach to be able to grapple the balls and have a little bit of athleticism or even a shortstop. They're supposed to be the most athletic player on the, on, on the field and able to cover a lot more ground. And within that framework, you have an ideal of what that would be. You might have, you might be 6'1", 200, you know, 189 pounds, whatever the case may be. And when you carry this bias as a scout, it can really hinder your ability to to really see gems out there. And it really played a lot of, like a lot of scouts read this because it reminds them that for one, our brains are lazy. You know, it's easy for us to go to things that we know as opposed to looking deeper and paying closer attention to some of the things that that are really sticking out. So when you look at, so for an example, 
it states that we, we have two systems. So the central thesis of the book is the interplay between each mind's system. So system one and system two, which came and described as a psychodrama with two characters. System woman is a person's instinctual response, one that can be enhanced by expertise, but is automatic and rapid. So it's really where we go to first. So this is why people, there's a lot, a lot of people will stick to say ideas like when it comes to race, you know, religion, things of that nature, because what do they know? Football clubs that we support. Shut up. <laughs> and then system two is invoked for more complex, thoughtful reasoning. It's characterized by slower, more rational analysis, but it's prone to laziness and fatigue. And so with that in mind, we, it, once system two switches off, we go back to system one, which will just be direct and quick, which can really hinder our ability to make proper and better time decisions because we're not really assessing all the variables before making a decision. And this is extremely important when it comes to scouting. For an example, they were saying was how you had, um, was it? it was uh, Aaron, Aaron Judge, and who was the other person who was the, uh, what is it? Rookie of the year, and they were in the same contention. Oh, damn it, I can't remember right now. What year was this? Uh, 2018 or 17? When were they rookies? I can't remember specifically. But um, looking at how Judge is tall, 6'7", you know, it was hitting for power, decent average, and damn it, it's going to come to me as soon as I get off this topic. I know this. But anyway, essentially looking at how they, they could actually play. And so sometimes it's better to not just go with what it is that you believe. Trey Turner? Corey Seager? No, it's a Hispanic guy. I'm trying to remember what team he played for. Uh, Gary he played Sanchez. for the Astros, I think. Oh, you're talking Jose Altuve. Yes, Altuve. That's it. Because they were in the running. And Altuve, when it came to scouting, he completely did not hit all of the markers. And yeah, he's like five. It's like five seven. Four, five yeah, five. He's, really, he's but, five five with like cleats on. Yes, exactly. But he also he's a tremendous player though. and broke all metrics when it came yeah. to what was expected of somebody with his physical stature. And so people were second guessing his development, but he turned out to be a really good player. And so this is something that scouts are also looking for because you never know what that diamond in the rough. And you see this a lot more with a lot of sports analytics that's happening too. It's not looking at just what you see physicality, but also some of the other attributes like their grit, mental acuity, what what is their history in terms of playing the game? What are some of those little underlying things that can really show whether or not they're going to be successful in your club? So if you want to not just see what front office heads are looking at when they're making decisions when it comes to players, but also to be able to train your mind to be a little bit better in your decision making and also being aware of you know, how your brain is working when your system two is kind of shutting down and getting tired or when you're being overtaken by system one, I would suggest reading this book. It's thinking fast and slowly. The, the, it, it's interesting you're saying about the biases of scouts in baseball, and I'm sure this is the same across all the major sports, soccer, football, basketball, uh, base, whatever, I just said baseball. I, I, I'm remembering a scene in the movie Moneyball that starred uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. If you remember towards the beginning of it, when he's talking with his old school scouts, one of them is saying they're talking about a young player that they're, they're scouting that they would potentially draft him. I'm paraphrasing here. The old scout says, 
uh, is his girlfriend hot? He's like, oh, because if she is, that means he has a lot of confidence and this, that, and the other. And it's, it's that's just like, that's the lazy thinking. Well, is that a lazy, well, that would be lazy thinking. That would it be would system be one. Thinking. That would be, compu- I, I like computer one, computer two. Like it's very like 1970s German techno music. Computer one, computer two. Uh, anyways, system one, system two. Moneyball, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so keep that in mind, everybody. Yeah, so, keep in, talk, talk to me. No, I was going to say, so keep that in mind, and also keep that in mind when you're just, like, cleaning up in space, too. <laughs> yes. Uh, the uh, yeah, so, so to Carlos' unsolicited advice is check out thinking fast and slow. Yeah, because it's thinking, comma, fast and slow. Our crack research team here at HBP just let me know. So... And speaking of computers, we can't do, nowadays, it seems we can't do anything without computers. And we certainly could not explore space without computers. In this segment, danger, Will Robinson, AKA travels into space, 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 space. I don't know if anyone gets that joke. Do you think people get that joke? No. Danger, Will Robinson? No, that just shows how old we are, man. Like, I, I have to say, like, sometimes we really just demonstrate our, like, how how much we How are. much we love doing this. Uh, and how old we are. We're old wash dudes, man. But nah, it's fine. Speak for yourself, my friend. Danger, Will Robinson is one of the catchphrases of an old uh, TV show called A Lost in Space. Anyways. My what I'm gonna get on a soapbox here for space is spring spring cleaning. Spring is almost here. We certainly feel that the weather's changing for the better, warmer. It's time to do uh, our spring cleaning for our homes as well as in space. We need to clean up space junk. There is so much orbital congestion in low Earth orbit. Low Earth orbit is basically almost right above the earth where it just doesn't uh, the gravitational pull of the earth doesn't pull you down um, it's basically where the uh, international space station orbits but we have so much satellites and so much debris up there that there's a big possibility that satellites uh, could crash into each other and we're talking about at speeds of over 17,000 miles per hour we just heard that that motorcycle a few minutes ago racing by at god knows what speed Multiply that by a gazillion, and that's how fast objects, the satellites, are moving up in space. And there's even, it's almost as if more junk, more space is being created in low, low Earth orbit because uh, back in 2009, uh, there was a crash between an American satellite and an inactive old Soviet Russian communication satellite called Cosmos 2251. And it created thousands of new pieces of space. And that's a threat to, to you. And you're asking yourself, Dorian, why are you telling me about space, low Earth orbit, debris? I don't give a damn. But you should. But you should. Because weather forecasting, your banking apps, communications like your phone, like the computer that you have in your pocket, TV bar broadcasting. If you want to watch the latest English Premier League, if you want to watch spring training for Major League Baseball, you need those satellites. Oh, by the way, I'm going to go pick up an amazing pizza uh, and I need to know how to get there. 
you're using GPS, you use Waze or any other of those places you go, that is built off of GPS. That's the US military operates the GPS for you. Oh, I'm gonna go to my friend's house now that I'm vaccinated. You're gonna call up Uber, Lyft, or anyone else that uses the satellites that are currently orbiting in lower Earth orbit. Your grocery, your your delivery when you when you when you order your groceries also uses the satellites in lower Earth or orbit. Right now, there are over three thousand active satellites in orbit, and more. And on top of that, there are twenty thousand objects in space. And just to give you give you an idea of how many how much stuff we've put up there in the past twenty years in this century in tw- in the year two thousand there was a one in one million chance that satellites or any debris up there would crash with one another in twenty twenty there's a one in ten thousand chance that satellites could crush crash into each other and go out of commissions um, I want to, there's so much more to say about this, but this is very, it's, it's, it's a very important thing that we don't really think about. And uh, what is it? A few years ago, the United States government, uh, they created the, uh, the new military branch, the Space Force. China has already had one. The French are developing one. The, uh, the government of India is, is currently developing one as well. Japan is also developing a Space Force. And there's an old theory back from, I think from the 70s or 60s called the Kessler syndrome, which is basically that with the increasing amount of artificial satellites in Earth orbits, the probability of, of those satellites colliding also increases. However, when, these, when they crash, this is not like you crashing into someone else in your car and then you pick up the taillights. That debris stays up there floating around, running around 17,000 miles per hour. And there is so much debris up there. It's, it's, it's frankly disgusting. And one person, not just not the only person, but one high profile person is bringing this to, to light is Dr. Moriba Ja. Moriba Ja. He's a black aerospace engineer. He was uh, born to Haitian parents, Haitian and Sierra Leone parents, excuse me. He, he's, he's known by a variety of ways. Not only is he, is he an aerospace engineer, but he's also a space environmentalist. And he also, I think he wrote his doctorate dissertation on aero, aero braking, which I love. Aero braking is basically, for example, we, we sent satellites to, we send things to Mars. You can't just send it and then it's going to crash into the planet Mars. You have to have that object stop so it can get sucked in by the, the gravitational force of Mars. That's arrow breaking. You have to be able to stop in space. What people don't think about is it. like, oh, we're just going to shoot something straight to another planet. No, it has to stop so it doesn't get just blown up on impact. Um, he's, a, he's a researcher at the, at the University, uh, University of Texas, and he tracks space junk, and he has a website um, to do it. And it's very, very interesting. So um, cheers to him. Cheers to Dr. Ja bringing attention to uh, the, the chaos and debris in space because it affects you, my friend, your groceries, you go and meet your friends, and all the other things that you do with your pocket computer. But, Carlo, you know, I want to say something about uh, University of Texas. I, I, I'm sure you've heard of this, that there was a little bit of a, there, there has been a big old hoopla down in Texas about their state, their, their university song, The Eyes of Texas. They, they, <laughs> I'm not gonna. No, you know what? I'm not gonna get into much. Look it up. University of Texas, 
eyes of Texas and the alumni boosters are in an outrage that the student athletes aren't singing that song. Um, they're not singing that song after football games. Is it because you have to wear blackface to sing it? Maybe, maybe, but it's not racist, baby. It's not racist. I find it's very funny when people who, it just goes back to the whole thing about those who don't have to endure the feelings that come with the caricatures and discrimination that they do, but whatever, different conversation, different time. But all too, yeah, but again, happy St. Patrick's Day to Dr. Jaw and everyone and yourself, you have to realize that you're, uh, you driving to the next bar or club or restaurant that you go to once you're vaccinated is dependent on the junk in space. Well, that's and, if you don't know where the hell you're going in the first place. This also goes, well, this also well, goes to show how overly dependent many of us have become on technology as opposed DiCarlo, to knowing how to get the hell that gets a point A to point B or not to read a map. DiCarlo, one thing. Besides some really, really intuitive ta- taxi drivers. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like real like yellow taxi drivers that you'll get, you can fly down like in places like New York and Chicago and DC and places like that. When's the last time you went to, you got into a Lyft or an Uber driver's car and they knew where the hell they were going without the GPS no, on their like, dashboard? Well, also it's impossible. With, but also with Uber, they have to like their whole like setup system is with oh, yeah of course of so course. like so i mean with it. them it's a little bit different as opposed to say like a, a old school medallion you know owner yellow cab yeah so but at the same time i, I agree with you it does make it very it, it makes people dependent so you'll have these guys who, or you know men women who do become uber drivers or lyft drivers and then you know being that that's the mechanism that's tracking them they have to use that and then of course it's easy to become dependent on it i mean i, I i'm not saying that it doesn't impact the rest of us i find myself oh, doing course. that too just because but i also it's not as though in many cases i don't know where to go i'm just trying to find the best route <laughs> right. so i save time it's like okay but you know yeah so cheers to gps cheers to the satellites in lower earth orbit and cheers to dr Ja from the university of texas because without him we wouldn't be able to go to places like mars and put things on there Oh, and also speaking about Mars, you know, for those who haven't known, the Perseverance has landed on Mars and it's been sending back images. And today we also had our first audio that came back that shows the wind sound of Mars. And you want to know what? It sounds Does it sound like, like wind like here. Oh, you know, like it's say, the funny thing we're finding. One of us. You know, the funny thing that we're finding out is, is that on another planet, like Mars and we're just using Mars because of course this is the only planet that we've really gone to where we could sit back and have photos high definition photos and audio and video that's coming back it's it's nice to see it's like oh wow this is another planet it's somewhat surreal but it's not much different I of course it would be if we were physically there be it hospitable at this current stage i would go there i'm telling you right now if we were able to go to i would totally go i would would totally go no i wouldn't for a while because you know what happens and i mean this is something a friend of mine we had a conversation about and it's you know human beings when we explore and and it's funny you finding people there was like a couple of reality shows too talking about you know mission to mars or that were in development with you know training people to eventually go out there and be on mars Human beings always usually send the crooks and the crazies and people who have nothing to lose to new places. Now, Carlo, we, you, 
you just alienated all of our listeners from Australia. Thank you. Thank you for that, sir. Well, <laughs> their well, for them, their ancestors were sent there as a penal colony. You know what it was. I mean, many of them, they're not criminals now. But And, and to be really honest, a lot of those who were sent there were like, you know, for stealing a loaf of bread. And a lot of the reason times they would send even like kids is just to stop juvenile delinquency and, you know, kids without parents on the streets. But there was this idea of just sending people, calling them, quote unquote, waste people to these new lands, almost like fertilizer. You know what I mean? It's like fertilizer for people. You send the, you send the crooks, those who are the cutthroats, those who are looking to find wealth, like really quick to these places. And even just like we look at even Manifest Destiny within the United States, going out West. Who was going out West? It was mostly people who had nothing to lose, people who were trying to make a buck, people who were just, you know, adventurers and were willing to do whatever it took. And that's the same type of people I think are going to essentially start colonizing Mars. And then you see everybody else starting to filter in later on. But yeah, I have sure. no desire to do any of that. For one, I don't really, you know, as much as you know, people like Elon Musk is saying, oh yeah, within a couple of years, we'll be able to, it's not going to be that simple. And it's not going to be that quick. You know, we, we, we will have to, we have to say there's been massive, um, you know, massive improvements in space exploration and travel. And there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that we haven't seen, especially say after the Apollo missions. Like why isn't that after, you know, the last Apollo mission, humans have never quote unquote gone to space. Now I think that's bunk. I think you probably have, or not space to the moon. I mean, probably have, but it's just probably not been publicized because there's a lot of other stuff that's going down and our skate space tech, like, capabilities might be a hell of a lot more advanced than we actually know about because the government's only released, you know, things after it's been done for quite a while. So we'll see, but Look, still, I'll, I'll, you know, if we're able to keep earth and save it for a while, that's the best bet because we don't have, our technology is not that advanced and our space travel capabilities is not that quick to be able to do exploratory missions. And then if we do tap into technology like that, that's going to expose us to a lot of other stuff because this big this is a big universe. It's many galaxies. Look, I'll tell. I totally believe that there's definitely a hell of a lot more life out there, and we don't know what we'd be messing with. I'll tell you who went out west during the 19th century in America: bankers from Boston. I know you. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm being very. I'm very. I'm being very specific because. Believe it or not, DiCarlo, you know what I found online? You can play Oregon Trail online now. And I did that last weekend. Elementary school blockbuster game hit. Once again, another way that we show how old we are. (laughs) And you know what? Every single time I played as the carpenter from, I think it was Ohio, the banker from Boston, which means you had the most money to start the trail on. And then there was the farmer from um, Oklahoma. I don't know. And you always left out of Independence, Missouri. Correct. And every single time I played, I made it safely to Oregon. And I'm like, when I was in elementary school, I never, ever made it to Oregon. I always got dysentery. The key, key, I'm telling you, is you have to spend time hunting. Do not spend money when you play Oregon Trail. Do not spend money on food. 
just hunt for it. It's that's all it is. And I made it, I made it to the end, but with Mars, I would go as a not as the Carlo just basically disparaged everybody in Australia and any potential colonizers on Mars by saying that they're delinquents, that they steal bread from your local Panera bread. Look, if you are of a certain way, maybe, but I would happily raise my hand to go to Mars. I would love to go be a colonizer on Mars. And I will see your head explode like Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger's we, did in Total Recall. So listen, man, we could do we could do a podcast. I'll be on Mars. You'll be on Earth. But it would be, I think there's a, don't quote me on this, but I think there's like a nine or ten minute delay on communications or probably longer than that. Because we're talking from here, from planet Earth to, to the moon is a quarter of a million miles, roughly about 250,000 miles. I don't know that I don't know that amount of kilometers right now because I just had my third, as De Carlo pointed out, Tennessee whiskey on the rocks. So I can't do the calculation in my mind what a quarter of a million miles is in kilometers. So it takes three days, three days to get from the Earth to the Moon, and it takes right now about nine months to get from Earth to Mars. What's my point here? We could do a podcast from Mars, and we can call it Martian. Baseball Thoughts podcast? I have no idea. I don't think they would have a Costco on Mars, though. But anyways, we love talking about space people. Even if we don't actually recognize what's going on in lower lower Earth orbit, and I just told you about potentially satellites crashing into each other, I did not bring up the fact of the national security implications of the Chinese, the the uh, the U.S. government, uh, the Russian government, and now very soon the French, the Japanese, and the Indians having uh, defense weapons up there, which there are. That's a completely different podcast, but uh, it's 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 very it's concerning because we currently do not have an agreement amongst all the spacefaring nations on how to conduct ourselves in space. We do have some patchwork, but we'll get there one day. It's going to be some wars up there, or there might already be a lot of stuff taking place. We have no idea about. Correct. I mean, you know, every single first place gets militarized first. And now that you have armed services, like the space force, you know, and also, you know, the Israeli scientists saying that there's a, a, a you know, a galactic uh, federation. So, you know, maybe so they're cheers to Star Trek. So, yeah. So uh, cheers to space. We love space here on Hipster Baseball Podcast. Hipster Baseball Podcast. We love sports and we love our pets. Tweet us a picture of your pet looking up into the stars, looking at you, asking for treats. Our Twitter handle, again, is at HBP4040. And when you send us a picture of your pet, use the hashtag HBPets, H-B-P-E-T-S. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback. So make sure you definitely leave us a little note. Let us know how we're doing. Follow us on Twitter at HBP4040 and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Take care.